This reading of Psalm 23 is from the Message Translation. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Are we good now? Awesome! Thanks. Been joking around all morning. They've got some new toys back in the sound booth, and one of them is this little, looks like a fire stick. You can press a button and it mutes this microphone. And I'm going to be very selective about who gets to hold that. Probably my wife. Um, and she'll want to take it home, too. <laughs> well, I hope you've had a good Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, lots of time with family and friends and lots of good food. We are continuing this series we've been doing with a deep dive into the 23rd Psalm. And just tearing it apart, sometimes verse by verse, sometimes phrase by phrase, to help us understand David's imagery here of how God leads us and guides us in our life if we let him. This morning, we're going to take a look at just verse 5, which reads like this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, I don't know how many times I've read this psalm. I don't know how many times I've heard it read. What I do know is that I've always wondered why David does what I would think is like literary suicide here. So he's been on his path for four verses talking about God as our shepherd, us as sheep. And it's like he makes this hard right turn and starts talking about a banquet. I mean, did he just run out of ideas? Did he hit a writer's block? Why in the world would he do this? And what I learned in the course of studying for this talk this morning is that there are several different ways this can be translated. You know, the table, the anointing with oil thing is not bad, but there's a whole lot of other ways that we can understand what David meant. All over the world where they raise sheep, shepherds know that if they're in a mountainous region, that there are usually these high plateaus that are prime summer grazing land for sheep. In the U.S., those are referred to as mesas. They're taken from the Spanish word for table. Uh, But it's not just a Spanish word. It's a word that's used in English. It's a word that's used all over Europe. It's a word that's even used in some countries in Africa to describe this geological feature where you, you go out in this hilly country and all of a sudden there's this perfectly flat surface, like the top of a mountain's been lobbed off with a knife. If you're having trouble picturing one, Here's one on the screen from Monument Valley in Colorado. And it's really easy when you look at the picture to all of a sudden realize why, that's why they call it a table. This nice, flat surface. Now, these prime lands for grazing weren't without danger. 
Early in the spring, well before they would lead the sheep to the mesa, shepherds would go there and would put in a lot of work because sheep will basically eat anything that's put in front of them. And included in that are poisonous plants that grow in these mesas. Not necessarily toxic to us, but they can make a sheep sick. They can actually end up killing it. And so the shepherds go there and put in long hours pulling those up by the roots so they don't regrow, digging them out, piling them in a place where the sheep can't get to them. They spend a lot of time preparing this table, grooming this mesa so it'll be as safe as possible. They also look around the edges of the mesa to see if there's sign that any predators are frequenting the area. So they look for sign from coyotes and wolves and lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Uh, They even pay attention to one of the sheep's smallest enemies, the adder. And if you're not familiar with it, it's a small brown snake that's poisonous. And it has this nasty habit of hiding in a hole in the ground. And when the sheep are grazing nearby, it will come out of that hole and bite the sheep on the nose at least making it very sick, if not killing it. So in order to defend against the adders, a shepherd will take an amount of oil and just rub it onto the sheep's nose. Evidently, the smell of that oil is enough to drive away the adder and prevent the bite. Yeah, so even after all this work, though, the shepherd knows that there are still enemies around. He's created a relatively safe place, a place where the enemies can't get to the sheep easily. And that image helps me better understand and picture God's love and protection for you and me. How he not only walks with us on our journey, but sometimes he gets out ahead of us. He takes enemies to us out of the picture, prevents harm from coming to us. And I just wonder in my life how many times I've been saved by God, from potential harm, and I never even knew. Then there's this anointing with oil thing that David talks about. You know, if you, if you know the Old Testament, the prophets and priests used to anoint future leaders. Kings of Israel, judges of Israel would be anointed with oil as a sign that God had chosen this person to lead the nation. Samuel had anointed David with oil when he was just a boy, saying, God is with you. You're going to lead this country someday. Now, I don't think that David's necessarily referring to that when he says he anoints my head with oil. I think he's still referring to sheep. So what's that about? (laughs) Well, in ancient Israel, my research has shown that shepherds used oil with sheep for three purposes for marinating, for sautéing, and for frying. No, not really. I would never imagine what they used this oil for. It was really used as an insect repellent. So for us, in the middle of the summer, bugs can be a nuisance, right? For sheep, they can kill them. And among the pests that bug the sheep, the nose fly is the worst. Did you even know there was such a thing as a nose fly? Even its name is disgusting, right? Uh, I did some research for a couple of days. I was digging around trying to figure out what this thing is, what it does. I I was an entomologist for a couple of days. Uh, And then I found pictures of the damage that a nose fly can do to sheep. 
you need anything to be grateful for this morning, you can be grateful I'm not going to show you those pictures. <laughs> they were ugly. Uh, and here's why. This tiny fly poses this serious threat to the sheep. It buzzes around its head, trying to gain access to its nose. And so when it does, it crawls up in the sheep's nose. Isn't this fun? Uh, it's actually fun for me because I get to see you cringe. So it crawls up in the nose, and it lays eggs in the membrane inside of the sheep. And when those eggs hatch, they turn into this little larvae that lives its life inside of the sheep's sinus cavities. Stop. All right, let's go ahead and put the pictures. No. It drives the sheep insane. Sheep will feel that inside their head, and in order to try to alleviate the discomfort, they will scratch their heads. They'll even bang their heads against fence posts or rocks or trees. And in some cases, they will even find a way to end their life to get away from the pain and the aggravation. A good shepherd knows that the flock can be decimated by the presence of just a few flies. And so he covers the sheep's head with this insect repellent that is oil-based. And the fragrance keeps the insects at bay and the flock at peace. The more I dig into the 23rd Psalm, the more I realize David isn't really talking in this whole passage about a life of relaxation. He's not talking about creature comforts for us. He's praising God for how deeply he loves us, praising God for the way that God cares for us, protects us, and guides us every day in our life. And often God does this in ways we may never see or understand. And as he writes, David, in this fifth verse, just finally reaches a point where his heart explodes. And he says, my cup is overflowing with gratitude. Which makes me wonder, how's your cup this morning? When you see the cup that you have in life, is it half full? Half empty? Or is your cup like David's, overflowing with gratitude? It's an important attitude for us to, to, to develop in our lives. Psychologist Abraham Maslow writes this, and I love this. He says, grateful people have the ability to appreciate again and again, freshly and naively, the basic goods of life with awe, pleasure, wonder, and even ecstasy when other people have come to take those things for granted. I am a firm believer that this season between Thanksgiving and Christmas has the very real potential to raise our levels of discontent and dissatisfaction. It seems like everything we hear in every form of media is designed to make us discontent. We're like three days into the shopping season and I already know my TV is too small. My car is too old. My clothing, my toys, my gadgets are all out of date, and I need the newest one. I did order my iPhone 10 yesterday, so I'm giving in to some of it. 
There is so much in this season that works hard to convince us of what we need in life, what we deserve in life, and to create a discontent in us when we don't have it and we don't get it. Now, I could explain more on it, but I think a video will help us better. This is one of my favorites from YouTube from a couple of years ago when parents had their three-year-old son open up Christmas presents, and they did what all of us do, right? They videoed their son opening presents, and they got a little more than they bargained for. isn't it? I said, poo. (laughs) Who are these for? (laughs) You know, there's just this attitude that develops in this kid. Maybe you remember seeing this video. It got 3.8 million views on YouTube, and it created a lot of outcry from people who watched it and commented. They said, this kid is spoiled. I mean, it starts off funny, but it gets a little painful as the video goes along. And it's one thing for a three-year-old to act entitled It's really ugly in adults, isn't it? When we feel entitled, all of a sudden it's not enough to be alive and well. We resent every blemish, every limitation. When we feel entitled, it's not enough to have a loving spouse and healthy kids. We envy the imagined life of others. When we're entitled, we measure wealth not by what we have, but by what we lack. It is far too easy for us to drift into an entitlement mentality. And here's the real problem with that. Entitlement kills gratitude. Entitlement says, I deserve this. Or gratitude says, I have a lot of blessings in life I know I don't deserve. Entitlement draws my eyes to what's missing in my life. Gratitude recognizes and values how much I really have. I have my health. I have relationships. I have possessions that I never thought I would have. And if gratitude's not a strength in your life today, I've got good news. You can grow a grateful heart. You can. If you've drifted into entitlement, if you've drifted into grumbling and complaining as a way of life, you can change. Just to show that you believe this, turn to the person beside you, look at them and say, you can change. Yeah, I'm not feeling it. I don't think you believe they can change. I think I'd have gotten a better response if I asked you to look at the person beside you and say, I hope you change. Growing in gratitude can be really simple. We can just incorporate some simple exercises in our life that help us grow to be more grateful. Let me just offer a couple of suggestions this morning. I would suggest to you that you have morning coffee gratitude time. 
But what I mean by that is you grab that first warm cup of coffee in the morning, and before you do anything else, before you get ready for your day, just pause and reflect on all the good things in life that you're grateful for. Give thanks to God for the simple things in life. The only caveat is this only works with coffee. It doesn't work with tea. I I did this this morning. I got up, 5.30, my first cup of coffee in my hands, and I was looking out our patio door. We are blessed, and I am so grateful that directly behind us is an 80-acre forest preserve. It's beautiful. And so I look, and the sun rises every morning over that, at least it has so far, every morning over that forest preserve. And I watch it come to life. This morning, the squirrels were everywhere. They were chasing each other. And I gave God thanks for creating those squirrels. It's all his idea, the playfulness, the the joy that they show. I I thank God that they have this crazy, bushy tail. You know, he could have made them any way he wanted to. If he hadn't made it a bushy tail, then honestly, squirrels would look a lot like a rat. You know? And it's not nearly as fun to have a tree full of rats as it is a tree full of squirrels. Don't judge me. It's my gratitude moment, right? We can also work to retrain ungrateful thoughts. I love this one. Because what it asks us to do is every single day identify one ungrateful thought that we've had. Just pick one. And try to turn it from a negative to a positive. So for me, I've been working this week on doing this. A few months ago, I was diagnosed with arthritis. And every time my joints stiffen, every time it happens, I am tempted to feel frustrated at the aging process, at the fact that I've got this pain for the rest of my life. And I'm okay, I'm fine. I'm just not as young as I used to be. And so this week, I take medicine twice a day. When I take the medicine, I am grateful. I'm grateful that I live in a day and a time when people have the creativity and the ability to create a medicine like this. I'm grateful that I live in a part of the world where that medicine's readily available to me. I'm grateful that I've lived long enough to develop arthritis. My ancestors grew up in Appalachia and... Some of them didn't live past their 20s or 30s. They have no idea what it's like to have aging problems, right? Gratitude exercises like this help us see more and more of the givens in our life as gifts. And there are hundreds of these gratitude exercises on the web. And if what I talk about this morning doesn't fit you, doesn't fit your personality, doesn't fit your creativity, find them. Find one that will help you become more grateful. Now, this morning, to help us grow in gratitude, I have one exercise I want us to do together. So in your program this morning, there was a blank piece of paper. I heard you. Some of you saw it and started grumbling. You thought yours didn't get printed, right? You were the only one. It's there on purpose. So grab that blank piece of paper. There should be pens in the backs of the chairs in front of you. Or if you'd like, if you're more electronically oriented, you can open up the notes section in our app and you can take notes there. I want us to create this morning a gratitude inventory. 
So just write those two words across the top of your page. Gratitude inventory. We're going to make a list of things and people we're thankful for. Now, I have some phrases on the screen to help us this morning. But if you get into this and your mind just floods with things you're grateful for, just write them down. So on your gratitude inventory, I'd love for you to, to write down, I'm grateful for simple pleasures in life, like, for me, that's mountains and waterfalls. The simple pleasure of the laughter of my grandchildren, of a 60-degree day in November. Yeah. What are the simple things you're grateful for? Next, I'm grateful for something good that happened this week. For the first time in five years, my son, my daughter, and their families were with us for a Thanksgiving meal. I'm grateful. What about you? What good happened this week in your life? Lastly, I'm grateful for my friendship with, and just write in a name of a good friend. And then after their name, write the word because. And just start listing out all the good gifts they give you in life. Studies show that as we develop a grateful heart, it will change our outlook on life. It will change our relationship with others, with God. Our capacity to love and be loved grows. Our frustration and our depression decreases as we become grateful. Contentment and joy grow exponentially. Gratitude is just good for our soul. It's the way God created us. So I have one more exercise for us this morning as we wrap up. David wrote some beautiful prayers of gratitude in the Psalms. And I want us to pray one together this morning. Psalm 103, the first five verses. And I don't, we're just going to read this together out loud. And I want you to do it with strength. I want you to do it with conviction. I want you to do it with emotion. None of this old church mumbling stuff, right? So we're going to do this strong and we're going to do it together. Let's read this. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his name. Praise the Lord, my soul. And forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Praise the Lord, my soul, and don't forget his benefits.